First John chapter two, verses twelve to seventeen. Mike, I'm trying to set it up perfect for you. Oh, you have the head thing. Oh, okay. All right, First John chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. This is the word of the Lord. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Thanks be to God. Uh, let me introduce our, uh, our speaker for today, um, Mike. I actually, most of you know him. Uh, scanning the room. I, most of you probably know him. For those of you that don't, uh, he's our pastoral intern, and he graduated from Gordon Conwell Seminary about a year ago. And um, he's uh, he's uh, training and trying to discern his gifts in terms of uh, pastoral ministry. And so, uh, as he comes up, just welcome him with your eyes especially. By the way, let me tell you, uh, when, when you're out there and someone's up here talking, you all look angry for whatever reason. Uh, so just smile more. Thank you. All right, thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure to speak in front of you. Uh, many of you guys who have been my friends for a long time. That doesn't make this any easier. It actually makes me more nervous. Uh, there's a sense of pressure and anxiety every time I prepare for a sermon. Um, so before we begin, uh, let's just go into a time of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this fellowship. We thank you, God, that uh, we just have every opportunity to give you thanks and praise and glory. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would align our hearts uh, make our hearts all right with you this morning, that we will be sensitive and receptive to the things that you have prepared to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So friends, there's a tug of war going on in our hearts. It's between God and the world, and we're caught up in the middle. Before we were Christians, we're on the one end of the rope, the world side of the rope. And we're content to be on this side because it's all we see and it's all we know. But once we hear the gospel, a new light shines way back behind us at the other end of the rope. And we realize that there's more to this rope. And there's a figure holding on to the other side. And we're fascinated by this light. And so we seek it out. We're drawn to it like moths to a lamp but we're not quick to let go of the world so easily. We're still half in and half out, just in case this new light doesn't work out. Our hearts are accustomed to certain things. We like what we like, and anything new is strange. Uh, 
but maybe it's worth a try. Besides, this figure on the other end, we're not quite sure who he is. He calls himself our friend and Lord and Savior, but like a newly adopted child, we're not sure if we can trust him quite yet. Instead, the images of food and promise of contentment and fulfillment from the world, it still lingers there. But he calls us by our name, and we're not sure how he knows our name, but we're drawn more to him. And the closer we get, the brighter the figure becomes, and the life that's offered all around him seems so much more brilliant than this one. There's no crying, there's no sickness, there's no poverty, there's no death. And when we turn back to this world, compared to that brilliance, this world is a little dingier, a little darker, and its promises a little more lackluster. But it seems as though the world is calling us. But it's the evil one fabricating false promises from the world to tempt us away from the light. With each step we take toward the light of God, the evil one becomes more deceptive and more sneaky. He tries to drown out the voice of God with a cacophony of ads of new toys, new destinations, new shows, new investments, anything and everything it can to distract us and pull us back, even one step. It was the same way Eve was tempted. The devil knows how to tempt and trigger our desires. He didn't have to sell how, the ju- how juicy and bright and sweet the fruit is to Eve. Instead, he just poked at the lurking desire in her heart. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see, the evil one, he's a trickster. He tries to get her to see God's restrictions rather than his wisdom. The woman says to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent says to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent, this devil, he's so cunning. He defies God so easily. Manipulation is in his DNA because he has no qualms with God's goodness. And Eve, so naive, so gullible. Adam, so weak without the presence of God so weak without the Holy Spirit. He should have said to the serpent, no, you're a liar. God said when you eat of it, you'll surely die. Instead, the devil's words veils her heart from God's words. And she sees with her physical eyes instead of the eyes of her heart. And the fruit is good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. She allows the devil's lie about God that he is not the good provider seep into her heart. And the lie escalates. If God cannot provide, then I must provide for myself. And the desires of her flesh, the desires of her eyes, and the pride of becoming like God overwhelms her senses. And so she eats. Insult upon insult It wasn't the fruit that coaxed her. It wasn't the fruit that spoke to her. 
It's the schemes, the devil's schemes to use the things of this world, which God calls good, against his own creation made in his own image. Later in God's story, the devil schemes again, but this time to the Son of God. He must think himself really clever to think that he could trick another son of God. Once the devil tempted the Son of Man, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Not only does the devil poke at the legitimacy of Jesus, he aims at his physical hunger. If I skip a meal or two, I'm craving for food like crazy. And you remember Esau who forfeits his own own inheritance for a single meal. But Jesus did not forfeit anything. He stood his ground. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. No matter, the devil, he wasn't successful the first time with Eve either. But next time, he'll get him. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He probably thought, I know a verse or two from your scripture too. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in his hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus, unflinching, he says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Twice the devil is thwarted. He's licking his chops now. The greater the challenge, the more satisfying the meal. He'll take delight in devouring this God-man's soul. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. The devil is on full tilt. He's gone all in on this one hand. He believes he has the best hand, four aces. Little does he know that he's about to go down in flames like the day he rebelled against God. Jesus says to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. For the first time in their encounter, Jesus refers to him by name. Jesus knew who he was, the great deceiver, the trickster and liar, that serpent when mankind fell. Jesus came to save the lost. He had to overcome the serpent. He had to defeat him in his own game. And now Jesus made him aware to us as well. And that was the end of Satan's era on earth. Jesus had taken everything from him. But he's not going to go down with a fight. He's that sore loser at that poker table. He throws a fit and a rage, and it doesn't matter who gets hurt. He'll take you and me down with him if it would make it sting just a little bit more to God for this embarrassment. And like in a dirty street fight, he has some success. We get hit, we get bruised, we might break a bone or two, but we are stronger than he because the word of God lives in us. And through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, we've overcome the evil one. We're on the winning side of this tug of war. Don't think it too impossible to resist the devil's temptations. Yes, the devil pokes at the things we crave and the things that we don't have, 
and we might give in from time to time. But remain with God. Resist the urges and see the hunger dwindle in the fullness of God's glory. We have food the world knows nothing about. That's the word of God. Resist the sparkling lights and the tall buildings. They are sandcastles compared to the majesty of God's kingdom. Resist the urge to proclaim our own deeds and glory as if they mean anything compared to the glory of God. They're dust in the wind. He says to the worldly investor, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? When the gospel was spoken to you and to me, and when we received it, the light was made made known to us. Our heart was made receptive to the word of God through the Holy Spirit. The Lord makes himself known to you and to me through his words and through the fellowship and the Holy Spirit among believers. The more we love the Lord, the more we love one another and less of the world. Remember how the first church gave up all their possessions to be shared by the church. Because what harm is it to me that I should share all my things with you? God has given them to me. It's a gift that I would gladly share with you. That's the will of God, that we would love God, and that experience of love would overflow unto those around us. When I become less and God becomes more, the words my and mine become yours and ours. That's the life God offers at the other end of the rope, one that's eternal with God and one another. It doesn't fade It doesn't expire, it doesn't rot, and it certainly doesn't lead to death. It continues when the earth and the heavens pass away. For me, personally, it clicked when I was in Hawaii after YOM. I worked on a coffee farm for three months. And I was there from December to February. December and January are harvesting seasons, so the hired hands, they collected uh, the coffee fruit from the trees and packed them into 100-pound burlap sacks. 10 to 15 sacks a day. We process them through a machine that takes off the skin and spits out the seed into another bucket. So that's all December and January. February was when we pruned the trees for the next harvest. And their farm had about 3,000 trees. And each row uh, spaced out about six to seven feet apart Trees were spaced out about five feet apart. And I was shown by the farm manager how to prune the Kona style of pruning. It keeps four vertical shoots on one base. And I don't know when the last time these trees have been pruned or it's just that they grow so fast. A lot of them had more than four shoots. Some of these were bent over and had four or five or six of shoots of its own. And so those were easy to identify and cut off. The goal is to make it clean, make the tree looking clean so that there's no space going into the tree, that each shoot has enough light and nourishment. One trick is to pull gently on the shoot. And if it's strong and hardy, it remains firmly planted on the base. 
If it's weak, it just falls right off. So one row would take me about four hours. I would wake up at eight o'clock every day. And I had my handsaw because apparently they didn't use electric saws. I don't know why, I should have asked. But I get up at eight, prune one row, have lunch. Then from 12.30 to 4.30, I would prune another row. So eight hours a day, maybe 28, 29 days for that month, I don't remember. But there were so many trees and sometimes the thicket was so bad or when I would use a saw, it would slip and I would cut my finger. All these things. Sometimes while I was testing for the weak shoot, I'd pull too hard and accidentally tear down the one that was healthier than the other. Sometimes my pruning wasn't very clean. And this went on for the entire month. Many nights in the middle of the night, I would wake up because I guess I was trying to make a fist in my sleep and it would hurt. But it was the most satisfying time in my Christian life. Not only working on God's soil, but because I had the most intimate time with him. One day I felt like I might not be doing the best job of pruning. I only have two months of coffee tree experience. But in that moment, God reminded me, though you might not be pruning these trees perfectly, I prune you perfectly. And that reminder continued every day since then. And I understood then the perfect nature of our God and our imperfect nature. How skewed our perspective of the world is because we view the world from the lens that God is not the perfect God he claims to be. We don't trust God, that he's really looking out for our best interest. How much we seek our comfort, security, identity, and satisfaction in the things in the world because our belief that God is perfect is not quite there yet. Your experience of God's goodness, his perfection, his perfect gift of grace in Christ will be different from mine. But our life on earth consists of us tirelessly seeking it out and living it out little by little with every discovery of God's goodness. And as Pastor Sam mentioned in the beginning, some of us come today with feelings of plenty. Some of us come with feelings of lacking. But I urge every one of us to not let those to not let the devil use those things against us, to not let the devil use those things to scheme and to turn our desires for God to those things. And we may not admit it now, but when we work long hours, seek our next promotion, reward ourselves with a vacation or a night out, consider, am I gifting myself because I believe I deserve what I earned with my own strength? Or is this a glorious gift from God, which means nothing if I don't have Christ? So friends, the things that we receive from God, let us consider, 
How will God use me to glorify him in these things? How can I glorify God in these things? And may we love God more and more each day. Let us pray.